the world we know is changing. I'm Moira Gunn, and welcome to Biotech Nation. We've all heard about stem cells and their fantastic ability to turn into any kind of cell, replacing those which need repair. But have you heard about fibroblasts? They're everywhere in our body, and they have similar capabilities. Dr. Hamid Koja is the chief scientific officer of Fibrobiologics. Well, Dr. Koja, welcome to Biotech Nation. Thank you very much, Moira. It's a pleasure being on. Now, over the years, we've heard plenty about stem cells and how they regenerate tissues and organs. But there's another cell called a fibroblast that we that can also generate tissues and organs. What are fibroblasts? Where are they in the body? And how are they different from stem cells? Yes. Uh, well, fibroblasts are one of the most prevalent cells in the human body. They're basically what gives our body substance and uh, what keeps our body and organs uh, and tissues together. Uh, they're very prevalent. So as compared to stem cells, uh, uh, which you just mentioned earlier, uh, they are, uh, in, uh, in terms of abundance, they're about a ratio of 10,000 to 1 to 15,000 to 1 regarding, uh, depending on the tissue type that you're looking at. So they're more easier to obtain. Uh, they're more economical because they, it costs less to obtain and they're less, uh, if, you, if you think of in terms of uh, obtaining uh, stem cells, whether it's from bone marrow or fat tissue, uh, it can be fairly, uh, it, it requires a surgical uh, procedure to do that. Whereas with, uh, uh, with fibroblasts, it's not necessarily uh, surgical. Now, I, I said regenerating tissues and organs. What other things do they do in the body? Well, uh, aside from being able to um, differentiate or or, uh, <clears throat> or change to other uh, tissue types, uh, fibroblasts, much like uh, stem cells, can also regulate the immune system. And uh, so that means they can regulate the immune system to make it more efficient, uh, to fight certain diseases, to reduce the propensity of autoimmune disorders, uh, etc. So it has uh, that function as well. But aside from that, those two uh, functionalities, it also has the function, and it has been shown in publications, that it can help recruit stem cells to sites that are required. So uh, fibroblasts have, serve many, many uh, functions which uh, are similar to what's done with stem cells, but in, uh, on quite a few uh, functions, they actually serve more um, in our systems than stem cells. Now, fibrobiologics has been working in this area for quite some time, enough time to have 150 patents in fibroblast development. So you, you, we know you guys have been hard at work. Um, and you're the only company, to my knowledge, working with fibroblasts as treatments, human treatments. So uh, let's go into some of those because you are in human clinical trials. And I'm thinking we might start with something called degenerative disc disease. What is it? What are you doing there? And and where are you in the in the human clinical trial space? Yes, degenerative disc disease. It's a very prominent disorder that occurs very widely in uh, uh, in our species. 
Uh, and uh, what happens is basically over time, uh, the, the intervertebral discs, uh, which are made up of cartilage in between your um, uh, uh, vertebral uh, spinal column, it, it tends to get compacted. And uh, over time, it does can degenerate depending on activity and also uh, genetic uh, predisposition. Uh, so it, once that is done, it, it tends to impede and uh, um, nerve transfer through your spinal cord, so causing pain, but also to a certain extent it can cause paralysis uh, in certain patients in terms of uh, which nerve is being impacted. So it it is a a very uh, debilitating uh, disorder, uh, which which, uh, we hope to cure or treat uh, with fibroblasts. Now, I know you've completed phase one and you're entering phase two, uh, which means you've been approved to go forward uh, with this. Um, uh, Let me ask you a couple of things. Are we talking about an injection or a pill? What are we talking about? How do you get new fibroblasts into a body? Right. So for for our phase one uh, trial, we did uh, carry out um, direct injection of the fibroblast into the affected area uh, or degenerated area of the disc. Uh, so the, the the goal is to not only use the immune regulation capability of fibroblasts to reduce the inflammation, thereby reduce the pain and and requirement for utilizing a lot of opiates to reduce uh, pain. But also, we're looking at at, uh, at the possibility of using the fibroblasts so that they could change over time to uh, cartilage cells and build up that degenerated tissue so uh, to increase the disc height and, and reduce the pain um, that is uh, uh, caused by the degenerative disc. Now, what exactly did you do in phase one? Well, with, uh, at phase one, what we did was uh, the purpose of the phase one clinical trial is for safety, but we also looked at efficacy outcomes. So in that trial, we recruited 21 patients, three different groups, uh, injected with the, one of the groups was injected with fibroblasts uh, directly into the affected area of the disc that we had identified with an MRI. Uh, previous to their recruitment, uh, and and then we monitored the patients uh, for um, a year so far. So what we're looking at is we're looking at the data. First of all, in terms of the safety, uh, we can certainly say that there was no, there were no adverse events noted. So safety-wise, I think we are very good. But in terms of efficacy, we're looking at the data, and uh, we're uh, it, it's looking promising. Now. If I look at my notes, it says uh, you did this over two years. You did MRIs at six months and, and 12, 12 months. months and to watch that. You know, I many people listening may not understand or some people may not understand since phase one is looking simply for safety to give to a yes. human. Um, your phase one might last just a couple of weeks. Took the pill. Everything's fine. No adverse events. You're looking at two years for a phase one. That is unusual. Yeah, because uh, for several reasons, right? We're injecting a cell, so we wanted to make sure that these cells remain in place and do not uh, interfere uh, in the disc. So we wanted to make sure that it doesn't uh, impact 
the degradation of the disk adversely, to, to, in other words, to make it worse. Uh, we also wanted to make sure that there were no tumorigenicity or toxicity involved in that as well. And in terms of the longer monitoring period, uh, that was basically done for efficacy reasons. We wanted to see the, uh, the outcome in terms of, are the, is it impacting positively the height of the disc? Is it, con is it being continuous in its uh, um, impact on inflammation reduction? So uh, that's the reason for the longer period. And also, um, cartilage uh, discs are in a very harsh environment, right? They're impacted by uh, uh, very high amounts of pressure, uh, lack of uh, sufficient oxygen. So in terms of cell growth, uh, it's a very harsh environment. So you need the longer period to monitor any growth or any differentiation or change of these fibroblasts into cartilage cells. And and so you're taking the results, not just to see if there's you know, some positive outcomes, because sometimes we get that in right away in phase one, but you're using that to design your phase two. Do you anticipate that will be two years as well, or must that be longer? No, phase two clinical trial will have to be monitored that long because from previous studies or previous trials done by other companies in, in the same degenerative disc disease field, uh, monitoring periods about two years. And, it, and if you're looking at rebuilding or regenerating tissue, uh, specifically cartilage, you'll have to monitor for that long because it, it is a very slow process. And you will have more sub oh, of course. more subjects. Uh -huh. Yes, we will have a significantly higher number of subjects for phase two clinical trial. Now, in what feels like a completely different disease, multiple sclerosis, MS, I know you're working there. First of all, uh, remind us, what is multiple sclerosis and what are you attempting to do with fibroblasts? Yes. So multiple sclerosis is an autoimmune disorder and uh, not, no one yet is certain what causes it. Uh, there, there doesn't seem to be a genetic predominant predetermination for uh, getting it, uh, but there has been some publications recently that shows that um, infection by Epstein-Barr virus uh, might be a, a, a source. So that remains to be seen and we're looking at publications. But basically what happens in multiple sclerosis is your uh, immune cells begin attacking the oligodendrocytes, uh, which form the layer that protects uh, the, it's called the myelin sheet that protects the neurons. Uh, it protects the, uh, the, the nerve um, signals uh, going from one neuron to the next. So when your immune system destroys the oligodendrocytes and removes this protective shield, it impacts the nerve transmission. Uh, so over time, it can be very uh, um, debilitating in terms of it, and it can impact cognitive skills, but it can also ex uh, um, impact uh, uh, motor um, skills as well. And now what are you attempting to do with the fibroblasts? So what we're attempting to do with fibroblasts in our phase zero one clinical trial has uh, phase zero clinical zero one clinical trial has completed. It looked very good in terms of safety. Our goal is to use the immune mod regulation effect 
of the fibroblasts uh, so to help reduce the inflammation and uh, reduce the propensity of the immune system from attacking uh, the nerve cells. Uh, and our animal model uh, studies have indicated uh, a v uh, that to occur very well. Uh, fibroblasts are able to regulate the immune system to the point that we're even starting to see uh, regeneration uh, of the cells that make that uh, myelin sheet around the neurons. Uh, we've seen that and, and that's very um, interesting for us and that's very promising. And our phase uh, one clinical trial that we carry, completed uh, sh showed strong uh, safety again. This was, uh, these cells were, were um, introduced into the patient uh, through infusion, a high number of cells, about 100 million of the fibroblasts. Uh, so uh, <laughs> it was high, but we, th there were no adverse safety events noted, but we, we, we also monitored as a secondary outcome uh, efficacy to see if we see any uh, positive impacts uh, on some of the um, uh, uh, symptoms that are noted by uh, multi, uh, MS patients. And we did see some positive outcomes. One of the things that we noted that really uh, encouraged us is that none of the patients uh, enrolled in the study uh, had uh, any uh, MS episodes during the course of the monitoring, uh, which, which is encouraging to us. Although we monitored only for about a year, we did not note any MS events in any of these patients that were enrolled. So we're hoping that uh, uh, a we're designing a staggered uh, phase two clinical trial uh, that will certainly monitor significantly higher number of patients. And uh, we're, we're looking uh, at designing that as well. And for some people, they haven't heard phase zero. You were saying phase zero one. And as uh, my recollection is phase zero is about dosing, not just for safety, which is phase one, but to make sure that it works in the human the way it works in the animal studies. Is that true? Yes. So phase phase zero one is the new terminology. Phase zero. Uh, so that that is certainly the case. So our our intention uh, was that to find basically uh, safety. We were introducing a significantly high number of cells through infusion. We wanted to make sure that the safety was uh, um, uh, was there. Uh, our animal model indications indicated high tolerance for a high number of uh, cells, and this one done both on mice, rabbits, and uh, uh, rats. Uh, so we wanted to make sure that that number uh, also was well tolerated um, by humans as well. You gave this to the MS people in the beginning. Did you have repeat treatments throughout the uh, the year? No, this was a one-time uh, infusion, uh, and, and that's because it was a safety uh, trial. Uh, so one-time infusion, but for our clinical trial, for our, uh, for our phase uh, two clinical trial, we will look at multiple dosing, uh, as well as uh, uh, a range of doses as, uh, in terms of cell number uh, to see which was more efficacious.
Now, you're working on all kinds of things, but I've just picked a third one out that's still in animal studies, uh, and that's diabetic foot ulcers. What are you hoping the fibroblasts will do there? How would it work? Yeah. So, uh, again, one of the functions of the fibroblast is its its prominent role in uh, wound healing. If you look at all stages of wound healing, there's uh, four or five stages, depending on which publications you read. Uh, fibroblasts are involved in every single stage. So our hope is that uh, one of the issues with uh, diabetic foot ulcers is that the reduced efficiency of uh, the immune system of the patients prevents uh, healing. Uh, which uh, causes the, the diabetic foot ulcers uh, or prevents them from healing properly. So our goal is by using uh, fibroblasts is to aid and accelerate that wound healing process. Um, so not only through immune modulation, but also through the recruitment impact of the fibroblast and its work with other cells uh, in the wound region to regenerate the keratinocytes and epithelial cells uh, required to uh, heal the wounds. And our studies so far on mice has been um, very encouraging. We certainly see an increase, a dramatic increase in uh, wound healing as compared to um, uh, mice that did not receive uh, fibroblasts. We could go on, but let me ask you this. Um, do you need my own fibroblasts where you might treat them or grow them and give them back to me? Or can you give me someone else's fibroblasts? How does that work? Well, the good thing about fibroblasts is that as far as your immune system is concerned, it doesn't elicit a strong response. Very mild indeed, and much like stem cells that have been shown in publications. So you don't necessarily need your own fibroblasts. We can use fibroblasts from other people, and uh, and it will be tolerated by your immune system. But when necessary for certain indications, we can certainly use your own fibroblasts from a skin punch. Uh, like a biopsy, uh, and then grow your own cells and then use it. So that's a possibility as well. But in terms of most of the applications that we are working on currently, uh, using uh, fibroblasts from other donors would work just as well. Well, would it be something like the blood bank where you put in, they tell you what type you have and you put it in and then they give you a type batch? Is that is there a matching going on? Yeah, so in terms of the, our donors, we will certainly match their MHC class uh, and the blood type, etc. So we will try our best to have multiple types uh, of MHC class and blood type um, uh, fibroblasts from blood, uh, certain blood types available. But I think for most applications, just uh, a simple fibroblast from any uh, should work fine because it is considered uh tolerogenic, which basically means that it's uh, it will not elicit a strong response from your immune system. Therefore, it would be tolerated. You know, stem cells, we always hear they can become anything and do within your entire body. Uh, what about the fibroblasts? I mean, they can become anything too as well. Absolutely. Very much like stem cells, uh, uh, fibroblasts can be uh, 
cultured and grown to become uh, many type of different cells. Uh, for example, stem cells have to be cultured in a specific way for it to be uh, transformed or dif differentiated or changed to, into a certain cell type. The same is true for fibroblasts. So for our clinical indications, we grow them specifically for that clinical indication. So they are fated to become a certain type of cell. So they might become a disc cell, or they might become a part of the myelin shield, or something exactly. multiple sclerosis. So you're kind of directing them. So you don't just have a, a bunch of fibroblasts on the shelf, and we'll just give you some, and everything will turn out fine. Oh, no, absolutely. They have to be cultured and uh, grown uh, appropriately for a certain clinical indication. For example, as you said, for degenerative disc disease, we culture them in a way that mimics uh, the cell growth of uh, cartilage cells uh, so that they would be fated towards becoming uh, uh, becoming um, uh, cartilage cells. For multiple sclerosis, well, the fibroblasts don't pass the blood-brain barrier, so we, we are depending on the immune regulation capability of the fibroblasts. So we culture them to maximize their immune regulation capability. Now, what's next? What are you working on next other than everything? <laughs> Wound care is it's, it's higher on our, on our priorities uh, at the moment, where, as, I, as you mentioned earlier, we're uh, in, uh, in the process of animal trial models, which have looked very uh, intriguing so far. We're also looking at other disorders, uh, for example, eczema, psoriasis, uh, because they're all immune. They have a very strong immune indication. So we're hoping to see if we could utilize the fibroblasts uh, to treat those as well. But we're also looking at uh, some aspects of human longevity and quality of life improvements. For example, um, I think uh, uh, working on thymus, right? The thymus gland, uh, it's important in, in many regards, and it has, unfortunately, a half-life of about 16 years in humans. 16 years. So that means that uh, as uh, humans get older, their thymus gland is no longer functioning, so they can't, um, they're not as efficient in terms of immune and their immune uh, function, such as uh, getting rid of the cell free active cells, which might cause autoimmune disorders, or um, uh, specifically migrating the T cells, which are important in, uh, in um, uh, preventing uh, a lot of pathogens, such as viral and bacterial pathogens from causing infections in the elderly, which increases as you get older, right? The propensity of getting infections, the propensity of getting cancer, the propensity of autoimmune disorders get higher, the probability gets higher as you age. And that is uh, strictly uh, as a result of your your thymus gland not functioning as properly. So we're hoping to see if we could reinvigorate uh, the, the, the thymus gland so we could uh, improve its functionality uh, at, at the older age. You know, I'm always thinking about how uh, we need new names for sports teams. You know, the Panthers and the this and the that. I could just see somebody, yes. we're the fibroblasts, you know. It's like, that would just... We would be very happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yes, and, and it, 
Yeah, and, and fibroblasts, uh, although they're such prevalent in the uh, in all mammalian systems, it's they're not very well known. Uh, stem cells uh, have uh, taken the lead in terms of the press and the media uh, frenzy, but I think, uh, uh, and of course, all um, successes with stem cells will apply to fibroblasts as well. So we're we're cheering them on. We're one of the biggest cheerleaders. That's great, Dr. Koja. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you'll come back and 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 be with us again. Thank you very much, Myra, for having me, and uh, it would be a pleasure to come back anytime you please. I've been speaking with Dr. Hamid Koja, Chief Scientific Officer of Fibrobiologics. More information is available at fibrobiologics.com. That's fibro, F-I-B-R-O, fibrobiologics.com. For Biotech Nation, I'm Moira Gunn. Listen to more biotech podcasts at biotechnation.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. Biotech Nation is a regular feature of the weekly public radio program, Tech Nation. Listen to the full show via podcast or on your local public radio station. For Biotech Nation, I'm Moira Gunn.